Well, here I am in Hollywood, California. Again, as you can see from the background, I am broadcasting from my homeless encampment. You know, the tent is just off screen. Um, all, all of my garbage and my, my shopping carts full of my stuff are, are, are we, we made sure that they were out of the frame. Um, we are here. I am here in the Golden State. And by the way, <laughs> I say Golden State. Golden stands for garbage because that's what Newsom has done to this beautiful state. He's turned it into garbage. I'm here because uh, just this morning, I was on the Babylon Bee podcast, which let me tell you was so much fun. I had to use all of my brain power and all of my wit to try to keep up with these guys. And at the end, they actually asked me which of them was funnier. So here's what I'm going to say to you guys. When this uh, episode of their podcast drops, and which I think it's going to be in a week or two, I'll let you know. Um, I want you to tell them who's funnier, whether it's Adam or whether it's Kyle, because they were having a competition to see who was, who was funnier. They promised me that they were going to give me a copy of their new book, um, and sign it, but they did not sign it. They forgot to sign it. So I'm going to show, I'm going to drop a bunch of behind the scenes pictures on locals. If you guys are interested, it was, it was really so much fun. They are so funny and such smart people and actually off offset, meaning once, once we'd finished filming, we were talking a little bit just about how surreal it is that what they do satire and comedy and how that intersects with politics. And especially on Twitter, how this played such a significant role in Elon Musk deciding to buy Twitter that had Twitter not censored the Babylon Bee for making fun of Rachel Levine, um, the transgender individual who lived 52 years as a man before deciding to identify as a woman, um, had the Babylon Bee not made fun of Rachel Levine on Twitter, then Elon Musk perhaps would not have even decided to acquire Twitter. It's, it's so trippy. It's so It makes me so proud of them for the role that they've played. Um, but Elon Musk made some pretty important announcements about Twitter and about a certain 45th president who got permanently banned. And uh, Elon Musk says that that ban was immoral and that he would, in fact, reverse it. So let's dig into this. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Now, I like Nutrafol because it is natural and it works. We all know that half of the people watching this show right now are balding men. You know who you are, nothing to be ashamed of. However, there is a holistic solution for you, for men, that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. It's made of 21 potent natural ingredients that support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress, too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. In fact, I interviewed Dave Rubin for my show today. You can watch that on Locals, LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. And Dave Rubin actually uses Nutrafol. He uses it to grow back hair. He was losing hair from stress, and Nutrafol helped him grow back his hair. You, too, can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering my promo code, Liz, of course, to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you will get free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com and use promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. So Elon Musk said in an interview with the Financial Times uh, when he was asked if he would reinstate Trump on Twitter, he actually went beyond just saying yes or no and claimed that it was immoral for Twitter to have permanently banned the president. It's quite something. Are you planning to let Donald Trump back on? Well, uh, I think there's 
there's a general question of should Twitter have permanent bans? Um, and, you know, I've, I've talked with Jack Dorsey about this, and uh, he and I are of the same mind, which is that uh, permanent bans should be uh, extremely rare and really reserved for uh, people where they're trying to, uh, for, for accounts that are uh, bots or uh, spam scam accounts. Uh, where there's just no legitimacy to the account at all. Um, I, I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake um, because it, uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. He is now going to be on Truth Social, um, as will uh, a large part of the sort of the... the right in the in the United States. Um, and so I think this could end up being frankly worse than having a single, you know, a single forum where everyone can debate. Um, so um, I guess the answer is that I, I, I would reverse the PERMA ban. I will say I'm not, I don't own Twitter yet. So this is not like a thing that will definitely happen because what if I don't own Twitter? Um, but my opinion and Jack Dorsey, I want to be clear, shares this opinion. Uh, is that we should not have perma, perma bans. Um, now, now that doesn't mean that somebody gets to say whatever they want to say. If they say something that is um, illegal or um, otherwise, you know, uh, just you know, just destructive to the world, then then that there should be perhaps a timeout, uh, a temporary suspension, or, or that particular tweet uh, should be uh, uh, made invisible or or have very limited uh, traction. Um, but I think perma bans just fundamentally undermine trust in Twitter as uh, a, a town square uh, where um, everyone can uh, voice their opinion. So this is what to expect after this announcement. The left is going to go wild. The left is going to try to cancel Twitter. The left is going to try to cancel Elon. The, the left is already trying to destroy Elon. The New York Times was trying to accuse Elon of being a racist because he was born in South Africa. And the, uh, the left was trying, well, not trying, the left made the insinuation that being born in South Africa means that Elon Musk was a racist white person who oppressed black people. Um, obviously, this was false. This 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 oppression of black people that happened in South Africa um, was not in Elon Musk's control. He was a child. He was a child when this happened and was not was not governing the country. Was not a voter. He was a kid. Um, but you know, the New York Times never too low, never too low for them to stoop to try to stop Elon. Now, why is this? Why do they care so much about free speech? Why is this such a threat to them? I was thinking about this because where I come from, meaning my thought process, is if I have a position that I feel strongly about, whether it's transgenderism, whether it's abortion, whether it's low taxes, whether it's individual rights, I actually welcome conversation. I want to talk to people who disagree with me. I want to hear their best challenges. I actively seek out the talking points of the left on Twitter specifically, because that's where the left tests out their political talking points. I actively seek out what is the left saying? What are their best arguments? What's the most common um, attack that they're levying against my position? I want to know what they're saying so that I can either debunk it or I can address it if there's any validity to it. And so I'm thinking, why is free speech such a threat to the left that they freak out to the point that they're trying to cancel Elon Musk just because he's buying Twitter and has said that he's going to rededicate the service to free speech? And I realize 
Well, it's it's not logical, of course. They're not sitting here and thinking this through in an analytical sense, the way that the way that I just described my thought process. They've actually been completely brainwashed. So it, it's not even that they're so insecure in their own political positions that they cannot stand dissent. They cannot stand questions. They cannot stand um, any kind of skepticism or any kind of debate. It's not even that. It's actually worse than that. They've been brainwashed into thinking that Donald Trump himself Donald Trump himself is actually Hitler. So beyond just this false and uh, offensive, but vague accusation that all Republicans are Nazis, they actually look at Donald Trump and they think of him as the exact same person as Adolf Hitler. And so they think, well, what would we do if we had been alive when Hitler was alive in order to thwart actual Hitler? And in their mind, I mean, you, you you can remember a couple of years ago when Antifa was staging their punch a Nazi campaign where they actually felt justified punching anybody who was um, countering their anarchist viewpoint because they had labeled people to be actual Nazis and they thought, well, we are completely morally in the right if we assault people if they are actually Nazis because what did Nazis do? Nazis killed Jews. Nazis killed gay people. Nazis killed disabled people. Nazis conducted gruesome medical experiments on children Nazis, Nazis were Nazis. They, they did these just these hellish things, these unimaginable things against other people. And so from a moral standpoint, thinking of, well, what would I be in the moral right doing to stop Nazis from committing their egregious acts? Well, that changes what it would be, how it would be appropriate to treat someone else. And that's, that's Antifa kind of started that. They started that with the punch Nazi campaign. And then the left, the mainstream media was so effective in branding Donald Trump himself. We're not even talking about Trump supporters, just Donald Trump himself as the actual Hitler that the left feels justified in doing anything they can to stop him. Absolutely anything. And so the idea in their minds of having literal Hitler back on Twitter justifies these very dishonest, these false, these horrible Um, accusations against Elon Musk, since Elon Musk said, well, I'm going to reinstate Trump on Twitter, regardless of whether he says he's going to come back. It was immoral to permanently ban him for the reason, the ridiculous reason, you and I know it was a false reason, that Twitter banned him in the first place. So this, this this is where the left's mind is. And we have to understand where the left's mind is in order to anticipate what they're going to do next and in order to fight against it. So understanding that the left thinks of Trump himself as actual Hitler, think about what they're going to do if Elon Musk actually is successful in acquiring Twitter and does reinstate Trump on the platform, regardless of whether Trump is active. And let me interrupt myself for a second and predict that if Elon Musk buys Twitter and if Twitter then reinstates Donald Trump, Donald Trump will start tweeting again. Mark my words. He's not going to stay on Truth Social. He will not be able to help himself. He will be back on Twitter because he loved Twitter. He, he absolutely thrived on Twitter. And Twitter was very, very effective in the hands of President Trump. So I think that he will be back. The left knows this, which is why there's this discussion happening. This is a discussion that I identified a couple months ago. I said, I hope Elon Musk has thought about what he would do or how he would handle it if he buys Twitter and the left, this big tech monopoly that he would be effectively breaking up when they say, how do we stop Elon Musk? And they parlor him. They parlor him by booting him out of the App Store, the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store so that um, 
so that people don't have access to the apps. And the justification for this would be the same justification that Google and Apple used for booting Parler out of their stores. They said, well, if this is going to be an app of free speech, if you're not going to have terms of service that align with the terms of service we require for apps who want to be in our store, which of course is a euphemism for if you don't force your app and people on your app to adhere to radical leftist ideology. If you don't enforce this radical leftist ideology, we're not gonna allow you to be on people's phones since Google and Apple have a monopoly on people's phones. And I, I said about a month ago, I hope Elon Musk has thought about this. Well, fast forward to now, and there's a discussion this week in the wake of Elon Musk being very close now to acquiring Twitter and actually admitting in that video that we just watched that he thinks that it was immoral to permanently ban Trump, which is an insinuation that he would reinstate Trump. The left believes this. And so they're talking about parlouring Elon Musk's Twitter again. So here's my, here, here's my proposition. I proposed this on Twitter itself, and it actually went viral um, because a lot of people are looking at well, what is, how is Elon Musk going to handle this? And I said, listen, what Elon Musk should do before he's parlored, but he should, he should make a realistic threat of this is he should develop his own phone operating system. Because right now, Apple and Google have a monopoly on that. You either have an iPhone or you have an Android and you either get your apps from the App Store, from Apple, or you get it from the Google Play Store. And so they do effectively, these, these two big companies do effectively control what what we're able to do on on our cell phones there isn't a a good big third operating system um and elon musk should create one he should call it the musk os instead of ios or android he should call it the musk os and 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 listen there there everyone listening to the show right now at least those on the right and i think some on the left who are interested in what in what i'm saying here a, a half the country at least would be thankful for an alternative. Half the country would ditch Google and ditch Apple in a heartbeat to switch to an alternative that Musk provides where we know that we're not giving our money, we're not patronizing these big woke corporations that are not only ideologically left in their leadership, but actively use their stuff, use their power, use their applications, use their services to stifle conservative speech, to try to uh, hamstring conservative politicians and to promote leftist ideology, it, 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 it would be a huge success. Elon Musk should do this or should at least talk about doing this so that the left knows that he's serious. Um, Musk also said that he plans, if he acquires Twitter, to make people pay for Twitter. And conservatives reacted to this in a way that I think they're missing the point. Conservatives are getting this wrong because conservatives said, oh, you know what? Twitter is a cesspool. I've been looking for a reason to leave Twitter. And if I actually have to pay to be on this service, I will leave Twitter. And I think that's incorrect. I think that conservatives should not leave Twitter. And I think Elon Musk is playing 3D chess here because, because there was a letter that was written to, uh, a letter that was signed by, I should say, signed by 26 different activist organizations and NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And this, this letter was sent to Twitter's biggest advertisers. And it advocated that these advertisers that spend so many millions of dollars on Twitter stop their advertising money um, if Elon Musk buys Twitter. So essentially handicapping Twitter because Twitter gets about 90% of their revenue through ads. And this, this letter advocated that these advertisers don't give money to Twitter if Elon Musk reinstates free speech. And in, in response, Elon Musk said, well, here's my plan for what I'm going to do with Twitter. I'm going to quintuple the revenue of Twitter 
But what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to rebalance our revenue streams. I'm not going to rely on ad revenue for 90%. I'm going to rely somewhat on this this $3 a month fee that that users pay for Twitter Blue. And so I'm, I, I will admit right now, that's some, not something that interests me. I don't pay for Twitter Blue. I, don't, I honestly don't care about that that much. Um, however, I think that this is actually a very strategic thing that Elon Musk is doing because what he's doing is he's taking power away from these woke corporations or away from the organizations that call on the woke corporations to boycott Twitter advertising money. And by relying on a group of users who would pay, what, $36 total a year, he's able to say, okay, woke corporations, if you want to take your advertising money away from Twitter, go ahead. We're not going to be forced to cave to your woke demands because we rely on your revenue. We're going to have another bucket of revenue. So conservatives on Twitter who are saying, well, if we have to pay, if Elon Musk make us, makes us pay, we're just going to, we're just going to bounce. We're going to leave are missing the point. This is actually a very strategic move on Elon Musk's part. One that. um, I fully, I fully support. There's also a report that Elon Musk is going to fire up to a thousand employees from Twitter once he acquires it, but uh, not permanently fire, meaning fire them, but then rehire people in those positions um, to grow the company in the years after that. So this is, this is extremely exciting, but what's very interesting. So this letter that I mentioned, this letter that was signed by activist organizations and NGOs calling on advertisers to boycott Twitter, Elon Musk actually commented on this. And he said, who is behind? Who, what, what's the money behind these organizations? And the answer to that is really, really interesting. Now, I like Moin Fox because they are helping keep the U.S. independent from China. 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company. It's owned by the Chinese. And their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, fun fact, yet you will find it in your grocery store aisle every day. There's a better way, my friends. I'd like to tell you about Moink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers, they farm like your grandparents did, and as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes, chicken breasts, pork chops, salmon fillets, and much more. Plus, you can cancel anytime. I love Moink because they are committed to our country. I know you'll like it too, and my husband can attest to the fact that Moink meat tastes good. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com Liz right now. If you use my URL, then you can get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That is one year of the best filet mignon you will ever taste, but for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Liz. That's moinkbox.com slash Liz. Okay, so this letter that Elon Musk asked, who is actually funding the organizations? Because that, that signed this letter. It was signed by 26 activist organizations and NGO, NGOs. And I want us to read for a second a little bit of what this letter actually says. So it says, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter will further toxify our information ecosystem and be a direct threat to public safety, especially among those already most vulnerable and marginalized. Now, you might recognize some of this language if it reminds you of Nina Jenkowitz and how she drew this very thin line from a negative book review towards a book written by a woman on Twitter to extrapolating that all the way to being a national security threat, therefore justifying government censorship of that negative book review. If it sounds like the same thing, it's because it is. 
It is. What the left does is they label anything that they, they don't like as uh, disinformation. Disinformation, of course, is a threat to our democracy by their standards. And anything in our national security interests, well, by golly, the government should just take care of that, right? So that's what we see from this letter. The letter warned um, that Twitter would see their company risk association, risks association with a platform amplifying hate, extremism, health misinformation, and conspiracy theorists. Right, so they're coming after us is essentially is essentially is essentially what they're saying here. They go on to say, under Musk's management, Twitter risks becoming a cesspool of misinformation with your brand attached, they write to the biggest advertisers, polluting our information ecosystem in a time where trust in institutions and news media is already at an all-time low. They say your ad dollars can either fund Musk's vanity project or hold him to account. We call on you to demand Musk uphold these basic standards of community trust and safety and to pull your advertising spending from Twitter if they are not. Here is the list of who signed this. This is very interesting, who signed this. So these are the 26 organizations that signed this letter. Access Now, Accountable Tech, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. I guess they have time to sign a letter when they're just casually lounging by the million dollar mansion they bought in California. The Center for Counting Digital Hate, Countering Digital Hate, Empowering Pacific Islander Communities, Face the Music Collective, Fair Vote UK, Free Press, Friends of the Earth, Gender Equity Policy Institute. Remember equity. Equity is another word for discrimination. So gender equity means discrimination against someone on the basis of gender. GLAD, the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism, Invisible Northern Nevada, Kairos, Media Matters for America, LOL, of course, Media Matters is part of this, Media Justice, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, ah, the abortion junkies, National Hispanic Media Coalition, Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, well, that's an oxymoron if I've ever heard one, Repro Action, Stop Online Violence Against Women Incorporated, The Sparrow Project, Ultraviolet, Union of Concerned Scientists, V-Day, One Million Rising, and Women's March. So as you can see, these are very radical leftist organizations, Marxist organizations for the most part, um, who, who have signed this letter. But Elon Musk, as I said, he tweeted, who funds these organizations that want to control your access to information? Let's investigate. He said sunlight is the best disinfectant. And it really is interesting if you go through even, even just a handful of these organizations to see not only what their ideology is, but where they get their money, where they get their money. So let's start with the, with, with the ones at the top. Accountable Tech. Accountable Tech um, is, a, is founded by a very radically leftist person named Jesse Elrich. Now, Jesse Elrich, you might recognize this name. You might not. But Jesse El, or Lee Rich, I should say. Lee Rich is a former spokesman for, wait for it, Hillary Clinton and the nephew of David Axelrod, of course, the former senior advisor to Barack Obama. So the very first name on our list, list is not only an employee of Hillary Clinton, but a family member of David Axelrod, who's BFFs with Obama. Then we have Media Matters. Let's, let's jump down to them because Media Matters deserves a little attention here. Now, Media Matters, of course, was founded by David Brock. David Brock used to be a conservative, actually, and then became a very rabid, radical leftist. Um, but who was David Brock? David Brock is now a member of the Clinton cartel. David Brock is, is, is the one that, uh, well, he takes his marching orders from, from the Clinton camp, right? He, he's the enforcer, if you will. He goes after who the Clintons want him to go after. Um, and Media Matters is, is also tied to George Soros. Ultraviolet. Let's look at this group. Ultraviolet um, is funded by the Libra organization. 
the Libra organization um, supports, quote, frontline organizations building a world where communities of color thrive. They use minorities, they use people of color, they use black people in our country as pawns to push the radical leftist agenda. They, they are backed by um, the AFL-CIO, the American Federation of Teachers, always got to get these teachers unions in with the radical leftist organizations. You can see this, this mishmash. You can see exactly where this money is, is coming from. It's coming from teachers unions. It's coming from Hillary Clinton. It's coming from George Soros. It's, it's coming, what, it's Access Now is the name of the one that, um, that is funded by George Soros. Um, and it goes on and on. I mean, we can go through, we could go through all of these, but each and every one of these organizations is tied to either Obama or Hillary or George Soros or some very radical leftist organization like the teachers unions that we know what their agenda is. Their agenda is not protecting our democracy. Their agenda is actually destroying the institutions that are the backbone of our democracy, whether it's governmental institutions like the Electoral College or the Senate or the Supreme Court, or whether it's cultural institutions like the family, like gender, like marriage. These, these, these people who are funding um, who are funding the organizations who signed the letter to Elon Musk, or not to Elon Musk, to organizations advertising on Twitter, advocating that these organizations boycott Twitter if Elon Musk purchases it because Elon Musk has promised to restore free speech. They're coming from Hillary and Obama and Marxist organizations. And I, I mean, it's, it's kind of nutty if you, if you unpack this, or it's nutty when you unpack this. So the Russians also have threatened Elon Musk because Elon Musk's Starlink internet has basically been why Ukrainians have had internet service. The Russians tried to cut it and Elon Musk flipped on his Starlink internet service to them, causing the head of the Russian state space agency, he's also the former prime minister of Russia, his name is Dmitry Rogozin, um, this is what he threatened Elon Musk. He says, Elon Musk is involved in supplying the fascist forces in Ukraine with military communication equipment. And he says, for this, Elon, you will be held accountable like an adult, no matter how much you play the fool. Now, this is, uh, I mean, it's a threat. It's a threat to the point that Elon Musk actually tweeted, if I die under mysterious circumstances, then it's been nice knowing you. Elon's mom on Twitter, by the way, said that's not funny, Elon, um, which it is and it isn't. It's like funny, not funny, right? Elon's making a joke about it, but people are out to get him. He is threatening the global Marxist agenda right now. The global Marxist agenda, I mean, look, look at what the Biden administration is doing. Last week, we talked about Nina Jenkowitz and the Disinformation Governance Board unpacking her ideology, how poisonous it is, what she wrote in her books, what, what her playbook is, exactly how she's going to apply her ideology to us, to you and to me, and how she's going to influence big tech. All that's important, but it's also important to understand that the word disinformation is actually a, a, a Soviet term. The word disinformation, this, this disinformation governance board is a, a KGB idea. And um, I, I, I want to read just this, this little bit from, um, from this article written by Michael Waller at The Federalist. He said, disinformation is not a word from the English language. It's a direct translation of the Russian word Desinformatasia. It is the KGB form of tradecraft from the Red Banner Institute of the KGB First Chief Directorate, otherwise known as the KGB Foreign Spy Academy. Disinformation, Waller writes, is definition 159 in the KGB's lexicon of KGB terms, published internally by the Soviet Foreign Intelligence Service before 1984. Here it is. This is a quote. 
misleading by means of false information, a form of intelligence work in the active measures field, which consists of the secret channeling towards an adversary of false information, especially prepared materials and fabricated documents designed to mislead him and prompt him to make decisions and measures which fit with the plans and, and, and intentions of the intelligence service. So Biden is literally taking this term, this idea of, of a disinformation governance board that came straight from the Soviet Union, straight from these socialists, and he, he's brought it here to our country. This is what Waller says, the origin of disinformation as an operational word is rooted in Joseph Stalin's NKVD secret police. With some references to the earliest days of World War II, the Oxford English Dictionary had no definition of the word prior to 1947 when the Cold War began. Merriam-Webster traces disinformation to hearings on communist subversion in 1953 and to Nazi and Soviet techniques as early as 1940. Occasional usage of the word appeared in the 19th century as an infrequent, contrived, non-standard synonym of misinformation. So the, the, the point of this is that we have to understand what it is that we are up against if we want to effectively fight back against it. If we want to effectively protect our country, if we as conservatives want to effectively live up to our name, if we want to conserve that which is dear to us, whether it's our family, whether it's objective truth, whether it's religion and our right to exercise our religion, whether it's our, our country and our founding principles, if we want to conserve that which allows us to live our life according to our beliefs and our values and our principle and our religion and our faith, then we have to understand the, the enemy. We have to understand our adversaries. We have to understand those who are opposing us. Right now, that's, that's Democrats. But beyond Democrats, it's, it's liberals. Beyond liberals, it's leftists. Beyond leftists, it's Marxists. The Marxist ideology, the communist ideology, is the underpinning of all of the opposition right now. It's the underpinning of the anger towards Elon Musk buying Twitter. It, it's the anger towards Donald Trump, who, when he was in office, said, listen, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break through this mainstream media hold on information. I'm going to bust through big tech monopoly. I'm going to try to drain the swamp and get to the deep state. And when he tried to do this, it angered the underpinning of the Democratic Party. And if we, as conservatives, don't understand what we're fighting against, then um, we're never going to effectively win. We're simply not going to win. This is true, too, as it applies to what we're seeing outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes. When we see that Alito and his family had to be taken to a secure location, when we see those mobs outside Kavanaugh's home, when we see Jen Psaki actually saying, we encourage, the Biden administration encourages these protesters outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices to continue protesting, notwithstanding the fact that it violates federal law for them to be doing what they're doing, obstructing justice outside the residence of a judge, a justice on the Supreme Court, notwithstanding the fact that the violation of law that's being committed by those outside the justices' homes are, is, is the same, essentially, as what the January 6th folks are being charged with. All of this notwithstanding, we have to understand exactly who is organizing these protests. It's not just the group Ruth sent us. It's not just Planned Parenthood. It's not just abortion junkies. When we understand exactly how these groups are tied to Hillary Clinton and how they are tied to um, communist, not just communist ideology, but actually communist organizing groups, then we can effectively fight back. So let, let's look at, at the tweet from Hillary Clinton when, when she was taking part in this. Using the internet, though, without ExpressVPN is like checking your baggage at the airport without locking it first. It makes me cringe when people do this. You think your stuff is being kept private, but you never know who's going through your stuff. 
handling your panties, your toothbrush, any other private items that you don't want other people to look at, you don't want other people handling. Likewise, when you go online without a VPN, Internet service providers can see every single website you visit. And then, not only is that creepy, they can legally sell the information of what websites you visit without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. I like ExpressVPN because when I use it, internet service providers cannot see my online activity. My identity is kept private by a secure VPN server, and your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. It's also easy to use. So the ExpressVPN, you just fire up the app, you click one button. It works on all devices, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. I like ExpressVPN because it protects my family. It keeps me safe online. Secure your online activity too by visiting expressvpn.com slash Liz today. Use my URL, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash Liz. So Hillary Clinton set out uh, the following tweet. She sent out a tweet that said, if you are in New York this afternoon, join grassroots organizers in support of abortion rights at Fully Square. And she tweeted, as, as you can see, a green square. People showed up wearing green and they were like, oh, Hillary, our champion, our queen. Yes, well, she is the abortion queen. That title I will, I will give her. But what's very interesting is that this group that was actually behind these protests, Hillary Clinton was just the voice for this group. They're a communist group, a communist group in, I mean, the creepiest sense of the word, although I guess all communism is creepy. Kyle Scheidler writes, in a number of pictures and photos from the Mother's Day protests, abortion protesters were seen wearing green bandanas, shirts, and holding green banners, part of a hashtag green for abortion campaign. The color choice was even endorsed by former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who tweeted out an announcement for a protest in New York's Foley Square with the instructions, wear green. He writes, the organization responsible for the hashtag encouraging supporters to wear green is Rise Up for Abortion Rights, which launched a, quote, week of action beginning on May 8th, Mother's Day, including an emphasis on actions outside of churches. Here's where it gets really interesting. Rise Up for Abortion's Twitter page shows them playing a major role in protests in New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Chicago over the weekend with additional protests planned May 14th in New York City, Chicago, Austin, Honolulu, Seattle, San Francisco, and Boston. While the left's ability to rapidly throw together color-coordinated protest groups is well-known, in this case, there was more to rise up for abortion than meets the eye. An examination of the group's website suggests that the group is little more than a front for the radical revolutionary communist party, the RCP, a Maoist organization founded by 60s radical Bob Avakian, a former leader of the anti-war Students for a Democratic Society. A communist group, a communist group called the Students for a Democratic Society. Scheidler writes, for starters, the group references leading RCP member and Avakian devotee, Sansara Taylor, and directs donors via PayPal to World Can't Wait Incorporated, another organization co-founded by Taylor. World Can't Wait also shares a mailing address with Refuse Fascism, another Taylor-led RCP front group that organized Antifa-style uh, organized Antifa protests aimed at the Trump administration. The Rise Up for Abortion page even links, or even includes a link to Revolution Nothing Less, an RCP YouTube show based on Bob Avakian's New Communism. This is not just a tweet from Hillary Clinton. This is Hillary Clinton being a voice for a group that has embraced actual, embraced actual communism, who has call, called for revolution, nothing less. 
if we don't understand who's behind this movement, the they, when we say they are pushing politicians to the left, they are funding X, Y, Z. If we don't understand who the they is, then we're not going to fully understand their ideology. If we don't fully understand who our opposition is, we are not going to effectively be able to fight back against them. We are not going to win. We are going to lose. In fact, this is a problem that many Republicans have. Many Republican elected officials, they naively believe that the left, meaning leftist politicians, are acting in good faith, that there's just this disagreement on how to get things done or, or what, what the best solution to the border maybe, or voter fraud maybe, or any, any other issue, public schools maybe, that there's this good faith element to the left that simply doesn't exist in the left anymore. It's why I say there, there's no virtue in compromise. We shouldn't try to find common ground with communists. Because when you compromise with communists, what you're leaving on the table are your principles. You're leaving your liberty. You're leaving your inherent human rights, your God-ordained rights on the table when you compromise with, with actual communists. And a perfect example of this, actually, is Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. She sent out this tweet um, this tweet this week. She said, to my friends and the LGBTQ plus community, the Supreme Court is coming for us next. This moment has to be a call to arms. We will not surrender, she said, our rights without a fight, a fight to victory. I, I read this and I thought, okay, so Trump got kicked off of Twitter for, quote unquote, inciting an insurrection when he called for people to peacefully and powerfully protest outside the Capitol. But when Lori Lightfoot calls for people to actually, she says, this moment has to be a call to arms. She's actually calling for a violent revolution. The left's totally cool with that. Totally cool with that. Totally fine with that. No problem. Twitter amplifies it, allows it to exist, doesn't kick her off of Twitter. Nobody suggests that she's an insurrectionist, even though she's actually calling um, people to arms. This is a perfect example of the left, though. They will use any situation which they have created and they will use that to tear down our institutions. Why does Lori Lightfoot want people to, why is she calling people to arms? Well, because she wants to tear down our Supreme Court. She wants to tear down this, this separate but equal, these, these three co-equal branches of government that serve as checks and balances. She wants to dilute people's rights to um, have their voices heard through our representative, but have their, their, their inherent rights that cannot be violated regardless of popular opinion that are codified and protected in the Constitution be upheld by the Supreme Court. That's the role the Supreme Court plays in balancing out the popular will of the people in the people's house with the fact that the popular will of the people still can't use government to violate the rights which are um, unalienable, unalienable, our right to life, liberty, and property to pursue happiness. But the left, Lori Lightfoot included, this is, this is what the left wants to do. They want to attack our institutions. Why? Because their agenda is not inclusion, their agenda is not tolerance, their agenda is not anti-bullying, their agenda is not compassion, their agenda is not empathy, their agenda is not even old-fashioned uh, democratic values, if you will. It's, it's, it's not even liberalism. Their agenda is actual Marxism. Look at, look at this tweet from Cori Bush. This is the same thing. She demonstrates the same thing. She says, this is a congresswoman, part of the squad. She says, as a survivor, I'm thinking about how Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas are credibly accused of having violated and harassed women and are now the ones about to deny us our right to abortion care. Ugh, can't stand that term, but that's what she said. Um, abusers do not belong in public office, period. This tweet is from a sitting congresswoman who's advocating for us to completely abolish due process of law. A, a, a inherent human right that's codified, that's protected in our constitution. She wants an accusation against the Supreme Court justice with the, which the FBI 
actively investigated and found it to be lacking credibility, lacking substance. It wasn't. It was a false accusation. She wants that accusation itself to be used to impeach Brett Kavanaugh. Why? So that the Supreme Court can simply be liberal justices, so that the liberal justices can abandon their role as, as being justices. Their, their jurisprudence should be, they just look to see if, if laws violate the Constitution of the United States or not. She wants them to be judicial activists. She wants to, they're, they're assaulting our institutions. Due process, she's assaulting due process in order to assault the Supreme Court, in order to codify her preference for abortion which is protected nowhere in the Constitution and violates every aspect, every shred of ideology that underpins the founding of our country. These are the people we're up against. And so my question today is, are you convinced yet that we are fighting communists? Are you convinced yet that the Democratic Party has been compromised? Are you convinced yet that liberals are not liberal-minded? Are you convinced that leftists are motivated by Marxism? Are you convinced yet that this poisonous ideology has so corrupted our opposition, that they're not operating in good faith. There, there's no possibility that we could possibly compromise. Bipartisanship is not an option. That this is not a battle between two camps who have the same goals and simply two differing opinions on how to achieve that goal. That this is a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between freedom and oppression. This is a battle between our constitution and communism. If conservatives don't understand this, then not only are we being naive, there is no chance that we will win these battles at the local level, at the state level, or at the federal level. Join us on Locals. We're going to talk about Bill Gates. Bill Gates made the most disgusting comment about COVID-19. Absolutely one of the biggest liars of the century. Um, you'll have to join us on Locals to hear it for yourself and then hear what I think is an exquisite debunking of this disgusting, creepy man. Join us, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Use my promo code ACCESS if you want one month free on your annual subscription. Why wouldn't you want one month free? lizwheelershow.com slash locals, promo code ACCESS. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.